Hello, and welcome to Jam Presents, a podcast series produced by me, Mike Groves, and a good mate of mine, Jason Cripps. The first series of Jam Presents takes us back to July 2001, when Fox ran a one-off TV series called Murder in Small Town X, an American reality TV show that we believe went somewhat unnoticed. This accompanying podcast will break down each episode of Murder in Small Town X as Jason and I follow the journeys of 10 contestants as they attempt to solve the brutal murder of the Flint family and catch the killer. Oh, and at the same time, try to win 250 grand. In the quiet town of Sunrise, Maine, a killer is on the loose. A reward has been offered to 10 ordinary people. been sent to Sunrise to play the killer's twisted game. Welcome to Sunrise. Now, they must enter the mind of a killer and solve the mystery before they are eliminated one by one. In this final episode of our Murder in Small Town X podcast, we discuss what made it such a good show, go behind the scenes looking at cast, crew and contestants, and have an interview with a very special guest. Murder in Small Town X bonus episode, special features, consider this the bonus disc of your DVD box set. We're going to go behind the scenes of Murder in Small Town X and attempt to answer some of those questions that we were asking over the last eight episodes. I think it's really important that we start by calling out what an incredible experience this has all been from our initial conversation when you said, gas station to uh to chat and why did i say it so weird (laughs) would we have ever done this if i didn't say it like that i'm not sure maybe you wouldn't have picked up on it no lost my train of thought completely but from (laughs) from from you mentioning gas station to to chatting recently on a zoom call with pat battistini it's been a fantastic few months and i'll just point out what we'll do is overlay some of pat's audio during relevant moments in this podcast and then we'll publish the video chat that we had as well since we don't have an episode to follow we're going to have to structure this by touching upon cast, crew, contestants, location, um, and also the fans of the show who we've been engaging with over the last few mm-hmm. weeks since we launched Jam Presents. And it's been incredible, really. We'll start with the show itself, the storyline, and whether or not you were, I'd be keen to know whether or not you were satisfied because you're you're a bigger critic than I am. I, do you think? Do you? You, you definitely are. That's such a negative, I think, as well. It is, isn't but... It? No, no, it definitely is, but I'd be still keen because I know that you would give this show a solid nine out of ten. Yeah, but that, I think I think what the the trap people fall into is the fact that watching it nowadays, you've got these, you've seen other shows in the last twenty years that has affected your opinion. But to look at this with you know two thousand two thousand one glasses on is what you have to do, and f- for that time. This, this show is absolutely outstanding. Yeah. There's nothing like it, nothing like it at the time. I mean, you have to take anything past 2001, anything past this show, you, you have to disregard because this is the freshest it could have been in yeah. that sort of genre of game show. So do you think I think then- it's, easy, it's easy to hit on it now, being like, oh, it's rubbish, it's this, it's that, because we've had you know another 20 years of, of game shows or reality shows that have tried to rep, you know replicate this or other ideas. I know you were not particularly happy with... It being Lambert, not not being Lambert, but I think that you said at the very start, 
if it's the businessman, it's going to annoy me because you're always going to go to the business partner. And I, I justify that. And we've spoke about it on the podcast as well, but I justify that with, he wasn't doing it for business reasons. It yeah. And I think, I think that's, over for me, that's, that saved it massively. The mm. fact it was a, a there's more storyline to it. It wasn't just a money issue. It was, you know, there's so, so much deeper family ties with it. And it did, it did play out like a sort of a horror film. The fact he was keeping these bodies, yeah, and yeah. And, and producing this sort of, um, I think you you mentioned it as a sort of a Resident Evil style family dinner, family dinner, yeah, with all the with all the dead bodies. I mean, that was brilliant. It was, and we'll we'll also touch upon those bodies a bit later as well. I guess the only the only challenge to that in terms of oh, obviously it was going to not obviously going to be the business partner, but the challenge to it being um, Lambert is the alternative. It could have been. It could have been Frank Kovic, couldn't it? Oh, yeah, massively. And I don't I think so. Would that have made a difference? It didn't impact that it no. was or no, wasn't Kovic. One of the things Pat says was that none of them got told who the killer was. They kept that really close to their so chest. Is that, yeah. is that because they didn't want it slipping out or because they could have easily rewrote it at any point? It could be a bit of both. We know for a fact that they potentially had a uh, a leak on set and that someone was giving the contestants information. You know, I, lo- I love the idea of that. Uh, yeah, same. That's superb, isn't it? You know, that's a, that's a show in itself. Well, that's, yeah, that's almost like the mould. It is, yeah. yeah. But the, the other thing is that, yeah, we know that, that the writers would write overnight so that they would change storylines if certain things weren't picked up. And it was always a question of ours, how did they do this so elaborately? But it was because people were working around the clock. When investigators were sleeping, writers were up rewriting scenes for the next day because they've missed certain clues and that is remarkable that is yeah and i mean unbelievable but if you think of that now and i don't know how it goes on but game show of that budget which literally took over the whole town and they've got writers rewriting the script and storyline depending on what happened during the day and this is going on for what two three weeks yeah more yeah three or four weeks yeah yeah that's incredible. That's absolutely incredible. That That is probably why. And we discussed it with Pat and that actually reality TV is so cheap to make nowadays. You throw 12 people into a house and all you've got to do is feed them and make sure they don't go insane and kill each other. Yeah, you just need to throw some 19 to 23 horny... Yeah, exactly. Onto, onto an island. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Whereas... It works. This, I honestly, the budget for this, I wouldn't even like to imagine, but it's it's five times, ten times more than any of the reality TV shows that have followed because of the amount of people that were working on set, the amount of time they spent there, and, as you say, working around the clock to pick up everything. And I read look, and I read in, in an interview with, with Gary Fredo, and Gary answered some of our questions, to be fair, so we'll go through some of those later. But Gary did an interview back when it was out in, in 2001, and he suggested that they have got tens of thousands of hours of footage on the cutting room floor. And they cut it down to eight hours yeah. for the series. I'd love to see. I'd love to see like the archives of that. Yeah, can you the imagine? lost footage? Can you imagine? Yeah, imagine some of that. There was a clue that was recovered by the contestants in an interview with Gary. He, he suggested there was something that was recovered that couldn't be used, and I can't remember if it was Pat or Gary that mentioned the dog tags. So I think some, I think it was Pat. Was it, yeah, was it Thibodeau's dog tags that they weren't like meant that. to be there or something? Um, it, I think. 
But what it is, is because this is sort of the first TV show of its kind, the set dressers furnish Thibodeau's cabin, obviously aren't used to it. And a lot of the things they dress the sets for are for TV shows and not for interaction. Yeah. So the fact that I think the contestants maybe find some dog tags that didn't even make sense because they were never, they're just there for show. They're not actually there. But when you've got this, you know, interactivity with the contestants, they're going to look at everything. They're going to look at everything as a clue. The other thing that's really, that I loved with the leak, the, the, the fact that someone was leaking it, the way they discovered it, uh, one of the clues, I think, when the you know the 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 blood I had that I was doing transfusions. Yeah, <laughs> that was one of those moments where the the story took a turn because it was originally written as deer's blood, but one of the investigators guessed it, and you know the writers were like, "How did she know that?" So she might have been smart. She might have been leaked information. Who knows? Nevertheless, they had to change the storyline to the, the the blood I imported, from, I think it was from China that I was getting it from or something like that, you know? So I'm reading this going, okay then. Um, so that just little instances like that, that happened to me and I'm sure it happened to other actors as well as when they got their storylines and they had to kind of change. Well, that reactive writing, that's, yeah, it's very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, you're absolutely right. There's no way they could have told them who who the killer was. In terms of actually the way they produce the show as well is is the information. So Andrew Andrew Landon, who he was the first lifeguard, he provided some information around it. And that when his time came to an end, he was taken out of he was taken out of the the show to a hotel in Canada. Now we know it's on the Canadian border anyway, so it may have only been a few miles up the road. But the fact that he was whisked away and he wasn't allowed to talk to anyone else. For the rest of the show, he wasn't allowed to reveal anything. He said the next time he got to talk to someone was to talk to Alan on the way back. On the plane so they, back, they were getting they the, the, the same flight. The same flight yeah. yeah, and they had a conversation then. But he wasn't given any details, was he? Apart no. from what was fed back to him from the uh, no, that's right. And, and Alan couldn't even tell him who won because mm-hmm. uh, they, he said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he just signed a uh, non-disclosure agreement that he wouldn't say anything." So he didn't. He didn't say a word. Just as a bit of a segue, so it's got an 8.2 on IMDb. Yeah. Uh, it's got 94% like this show, Google users. It's got an 8.1 on TV.com. It's got a 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, right? So Crazy. I've gone on to Rotten, yeah, I've gone to Rotten Tomatoes. And this is what I'm, this is sort of confirms my point about seeing this show as a, a 2001 show. Mm. So you've got, I think there's about six reviewers here. They've got the top critic label on Rotten Tomatoes. I'll, I'll, I'll say some of the, uh, the more negative ones. So murder, murder in Small Town X, Bog's dying in its details, and the player's foolishness. The setup for this eight-week series is cumbersome and over-engineered. The producers get in way of the fun. What? The first episode is a train wreck of confusing rules and bad acting, but the strangest thing is seeing the investigators behaving as if, if, if their own lives are in danger. That's what uh, makes right? it. This is it. Right? Sorry. I, I, that's, that yeah, is just, absolutely what makes it. But listen, right, I'll, I'll follow this up in a minute. It says, no, this isn't the ultimate reality show. The losers aren't really killed. They're just thrown off the show. <laughs> right? This is oh, top damn it. critic. Yes. Top critic, New York Post. Oh, right, Jesus. and it's a video version of a role-playing murder mystery game in which the contestants have to work together and against each other in the pursuit of two hundred fifty thousand dollar prize money. It's also a bit complicated and occasionally over the top stupid, which is an unfortunate. These are top critics saying this in the end of two thousand and nineteen, oh, eighteen sakes. years later. 
and you're reviewing something and you're giving something a two out of like 10 or whatever. That's just this is what ridiculous. How can you call yourself a critic if you're seeing it through 2019 glasses? See, if these, if these were, if these were like um, December 21, uh, 21, this is December 2001, they'll have more um, validity, but not 18 years later. Fucking hate that stuff. And that person, that critic, just then saying that they acting as though their lives are in danger. That's what I want from a show like this. But, the, but yeah, but then surely that just complements how good a production this was. Well, yeah. Let's be honest, mate. I I go round rides at Disneyland and I get scared. You know, mm. it's a small world. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> but when you go around a haunted house, you don't think, oh, they're all actors. They, I'm in Disneyland. They're they're gonna. They're not going to kill me. No, you you want you want that, that to be so overproduced, that, yeah, yeah. and you want the people in the costumes to act as though they are literally going to kill you if they catch you, mm-hmm. because that's what gives you the buzz. Yeah, um, and you're right; that does absolutely pay testament to the writing and the actors. You know, obviously, what what Pat was saying the fact that they never socialised with any of the contestants, yeah. did they? And he he could easily walk past one of them on the road and not even notice. So even to this day, he's never met them. And I think what well, you know, early on in the um in the first few episodes, we say, especially with Alan, how he's so absorbed into that reality of Sunrise. And again, that's, that's surely credit to how they've produced this show. Yeah, going back to meeting um, the investigators really fast. Alan, I can't remember his last name. Alan Fried or Freed, I think, was the one of the investigators, the guy yeah. from Tennessee. Yeah. Um, I to this day, I have never met the man. Uh, I, you know, if he, I could walk right by him and he would not know who I am. <laughs> That's brilliant. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, they just told me to constantly be. I was really hard on him. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so he was. I was nervous when these guys show up because you, you, you don't. You, the one thing you can't do is like you know, flub up and give them more information than mm-hmm. you're supposed yeah, of to. Course. So, so that was where I was always hesitant. Um, but on the same note, whenever I'd go back and watch uh, the episodes, actually, I saw the episodes only until they were finished afterwards. I didn't realize how scared he was of me. Had I known that, you know, I'd have been even more just <laughs> and stuff um, because it was just fun. It was just a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, that that's sort of it on the storyline. So let's move on to the crew. We know some of the writers have been involved in uh, quite a number of shows, producers and I mean, there's there's links to there's links to Twin Peaks. We've seen that. There's links to Stephen King. But some of these writers have actually worked on productions on you know Twin Peaks mm-hmm. and things like that. I was going to say, so one of the series writing credits is um, Robert Engels, which he was writer on Twin Peaks: Fire Walk with Me, which is like the prequel film, and he was also producer on Twin Peaks. So obviously, you can see that I think a lot with how well people like um, Hayden DeBeck. Hayden DeBeck. That whole, that whole funeral scene to me, some stuff like that, you know what I mean? And yeah, there's there's def- definitely characters in there that I thought reminded me of characters in Twin Peaks. Mm. Who, was, who was the young guy? I'm going all blank now. Jimmy Tinker. Jimmy Tinker, yeah. So there's a character in Twin Peaks called Bobby Briggs and him and Jimmy Tinker are basically the same person. <laughs> <laughs> some of the creators on IMDb, I mean, you've got Robert Fisher Jr. Mm. He, he was an editor for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Which is... The second the, best film ever made after Back <laughs> to the Future. Yeah, one of the yeah greatest films in the last five years, at least. You know, and obviously we said about George Vershaw, and um, I think Andrew said this in his stuff he sent us was that he obviously did. He was always well, producer for the Real World. Yes, between that's 90, right. Between nineteen ninety two and two thousand and ten. 
and and it was at, it was in the real world that he introduced the body cam. Yes, and yeah. that was heavily used in Murder in Small Town X. And Pat even said that it was because of the real world that where he introduced that that he thought it'd make good for a horror. Mm-hmm. And boy, does it! It's great. Going back to the camera though, and, and you'll have to maybe do some research on this, but I think that whole neck camera thing that was George's ideas years before Small Town X. I think when they were doing, um, he was one of the original guys on Real World. There's a series mm-hmm. on MTV that started. And I think that was his thought of putting that camera there because George always was very creative when it came to the reality thing, to keeping things so much real and in that moment. Gordon Cassidy is another one. Yeah, Gordon Gordon Cassidy. Yeah, I'm just looking now. <laughs> done much, to be fair. <laughs> nothing, yeah, has done a lot, to be fair to him. But um, nothing that jumps out. A lot of American stuff, I suppose, isn't it? The other person that we need to mention is someone that you found on instagram just by searching for murder in small town x and that's the uh the special effects artist vgp effects on instagram put a post and we'll share this as well on our twitter because he's put the very first silicon heads vgp made in california for the tv show called murder in small town x where the serial killer keeps his victims alive by ejecting a special fluid in them to keep them fresh and it's incredible. You can see some of the, uh, as I say, I'm going to share it, but that's also a part of the storyline that we never came across because it says about the serial killer injecting yeah, so special fluid in them to keep them fresh. Do you think that's on the cutting room floor somewhere? Yeah, because they had the fingers, didn't they, as well? Because it, like we said, it's weird that it yeah, had the fingers, but also weird that... A visual effects would, artist would be told that. Or they were doing that sort of um, dinner scene, weren't they? Yeah. Like, why is he saving these bodies? Like, how is he saving these bodies? Yeah. So yeah, and it was just detail that wasn't required in the end. Required, but also I think you said at the time um, when we had a sort of a debrief for the last episode, you might have thought that those were the actual actors. I was certain. <laughs> I, um, this never, this never made the podcast, but there's footage of us on our cutting room floor where we have the conversation, and you. It was uh, the reason I cut it was because of a spoiler for this conversation. Uh, I wanted people to hear it for the first time in this episode. But that dinner scene where all of the corpses are stood up. Now, don't get me wrong. I knew Oscar Blodgett's wasn't real. That had been in the ground for 40 it years. It wasn't a real skeleton. But I could have sworn that all those other actors, the Thibodeau or Mary Elizabeth or Nate Flynn, I thought they were real people just stood there, especially since that scene was only on the screen or we only saw those seconds, bodies. absolute yeah, seconds. For like less than a minute. So the fact that they went that way that far to make those mannequins and they didn't need to they could have just used actors but i guess the big thing is there what if what if as angel goes in he sees one of them move slightly and tries to grab one and you're alive come with me yeah or, or anything like that you know I mean? maybe they needed to do it on it, it intentionally but yeah those those mannequins they were that realistic. I genuinely thought they were just people with with makeup on. Oh one one thing we should mention on the crew before we move on is that Pat told us how engaging they were and how they would just be in the actors' ears all the time. So George Fershaw, the one that created the real world and whatnot, and you know, was the idea behind the body cams, was very much hands-on. Even in the scene where Thibodeau grabs Andrew in the town hall at the yeah. very in the very first time that the actors come across the contestants or vice versa, Thibodeau pushes. Andrew and grabs him and Pat told us that well that was uh, George for sure uh, again the executive producer um, as soon as they got off the bus he said he, he came up to me and he whispered because he was like kind of off back 
and and that was a crazy room because there were a lot of people in that meeting room and stuff and uh so he's kind of just like you know the lion looking for the one you're gonna attack and so he goes to me he goes that one get that one right there and, and shove him shove him up against the wall and, and threaten him or give him some information or whatever or tell him tell him to you know give him a warning so he pointed out andrew to me and so that's why i was just kind of sitting there going duh, 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 duh. and all of a sudden when i saw him and again the adrenaline's going because you're like i only and you only had one take that was a thing yeah, they yeah. Never went back and reshot it so if i miss my opportunity I missed my opportunity. So that's where, you know, it was really nerve wracking too, as an actor, you never want to disappoint and get that, you know, lose the money shot. So, uh, so that was George, that was all George telling me to go get him and just start right off things off with a bang. What amazed me with that is that, yeah, you've got Thibodeau towering over him, but if you look in Andrew's memoirs, so we're moving on to contestants. So this is a nice segue into it. But we got in touch with Andrew of all the of all the contestants that we tried to reach out to. And we can go through what each of them are doing. But Andrew's very much active on, on Instagram. And he sent us some of his memoirs of an up and coming book. And he described it. He said he nearly shit himself or something along those lines. He, he said that, yeah, that moment where Thibodeau grabs him. And again, it just goes to show how how realistic they were they were treating it and they were they were behaving as they were they were literally real. just off the bus weren't they straight literally. off the bus was it yeah yeah on to contestants then and we know that part of the show from from what andrew said as I, as i mentioned andrew sent us a lot of detail which has given us a lot of insight into what has happened behind the scenes andrew had actually applied for the real world so he's a twin and he and his twin brother thought they would be good on the real world now i'm not too familiar about what the real world is what it has to offer it might be that we go down a 25 year rabbit hole from 1995 to 2010 yeah, i'm not watching all 25 seasons of yeah. real world but he thought he'd be good so he his brother and him applied to be on it and that's where he met uh, george and george eventually they went through different rounds and whatnot and then george said actually come come and join us on murder and simultaneous instead but um he went through a long process the stuff that he's gone into and, and told us uh, is, is remarkable about how they went through uh, to apply and how they're treated. It, it's, you know, it's all piled on. It's basically come and join us for this incredible Hollywood experience. You're going to be in one of the biggest hits of the summer. And I don't know, we touch upon all the contestants because we couldn't reach out to, we couldn't reach out to all of them, but we tried to get Alan, Alan Fry, who's the deli owner, obviously former Marine, but, um, I think with COVID, it's quietened down at the deli or, or he's not as active on social media because the last posts that I saw from from Alan was um, or were from from 2019. So yeah. he's not not as active, but he's done a few interviews in the past. So I'm not giving up hope. One day we we do oh, still hope to yeah, interview Yeah, I'm still going to get on to that. As soon as we see his, uh, his deli picking up again online, then, then we'll get on it. Jeff, Jeff is still doing his modelling. Jeff's still very much doing his modelling and selling... Uh, modeling tips or something like that on his website yeah. we know obviously angel's fate uh, and, and we touched upon that in the last episode the tragedy that surrounded angel and Kristen went on to be a contestant on the apprentice and uh, yeah big donald trump advocate isn't she as well i wouldn't want to say uh too much on that because she scares me i don't know if there's anything more to go in i, I guess the one thing that i did really really enjoy was reading some of the tributes to angel and there was one piece that Alan had been interviewed and they spoke to him about his relationship with Angel. 
and he said oh he's like a best friend to me and all this one particular thing that made me laugh so much was that Alan said that he went to Angel's funeral or to the wake or whatever and had a lady come up to him and say oh I was Angel's girlfriend and then half an hour later another lady came up to me and said I was Angel's girlfriend and this happened five or six times and he said and that's just Angel so it seemed as though he had a lot of girlfriends that were yeah, he, uh, I think yeah he knew a lot of people <laughs> I thought that was fantastic so uh, yeah although it was tragic circumstances at least there's a lot of fun memories and this will be in our minds forever this is one of the best things we've done it's been incredible to watch um, but it's just little tidbits like that, that that really make me smile as for the other contestants there are quite a few that i couldn't find anything on regarding shirley regarding Lindsay, brian right we did find brian actually brian is a doctor uh, looks exactly the same as he did back, uh, back hasn't aged day. at all but other than that i think yeah we'll move on from contestants and, and talk about our next holiday destination mate we're going to talk about the location sunrise maine actually in eastport yeah and there's not a lot to say about the location other than we know that the fisherman statue was purpose-built for the show. That's incredible. Still amazes me, that is. We know that that's now a tribute to Angel, which is really nice. There's a nice plaque on there as well. I, I like how I've read it somewhere, how it sort of went, was just left for many years, I think. It was, and that, yeah. And then it, was, it wasn't It was until there was some sort of, I don't know if it's crowdfunding or the, the, the sort of the times people. Around or something like yeah, that. the times people sort of put some money together to maintain it and, and renovate it slightly. Yeah, and restore it to its former glory and build yeah. a better base for it, a more permanent base as well. Mm-hmm. And the other the other thing we should mention about Sunrise or Eastport is that they don't have a Founders Day parade, nor a July 4th parade, because despite... That blows my mind. <laughs> because despite in the very first episode you saying, of course it was a parade, they put it on for the show. And that yeah. is brilliant. I want to go back and look at that because... There's a few hundred people there, surely. It, I mean, they've certainly made it look like there's a few hundred people there. Yeah, we, we, we would need to go back and rewatch. But So that was all for the show? All for the show, yeah. That's a nice segue, in fairness, because there's not a lot more to say about the location other than we will be going over there oh, at 100%, some point before we're 40. 100% at some point, <laughs> I want to go to Eastport. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be heading out. What it meant, knowing that it was set in Eastport in Maine, it meant that we could reach out to townspeople. It meant that we could go onto Reddit, onto the main, and not main as in the <laughs> the big one. No, main, the place, the state of Maine's subreddit, subreddit. And reach out. And I put a few posts on there reaching out for information on Murder in Small Town X and how it impacted people. And one particular person came through. Credit to Hawk1964, who actually hosts a YouTube channel, which we'll, we'll share, we'll do some retweets and stuff. I just want to touch upon on Hawk's experience because, um, or Hawk1964, if I call him Hawk, you know know why. But he came through because, firstly, everybody said it was such a great experience. It was great to have Hollywood come to town. It was like Disneyland turning up and building a set. They renovated shops. They opened shops which had closed down. They had restaurants in there that were opened up for the show, you know, intentionally for the show and things yeah, like that. Yeah, different signage and uh, yeah, advertisements and stuff. And this Redditor was actually, actually managed to get onto the show as an extra in both a sweeper role, a barman role. I think he did some security as well, whether or not there was a security role in the show, or I think he was actually working for a contracting company at the time that did security. So he had to take some of the contestants to different locations and things like that. Mm -hmm. 
but this chap got really, really involved. So I asked him that how he how he got approached for it or how he applied for it. And he said that in one of the local papers, they've got the Calais, Calais advertiser over there, um, early 2001, and a casting agency was looking for extras for an upcoming movie or project. Um, they referenced it as Water's Edge, but there wasn't any sort of hint as it being a reality show, which would eventually become Murder in Small Town X. He is a local from from Calais, which must be obviously in France. No, Calais, uh, near Eastport, I'd have thought. And he applied for different roles. And he was a hunter, a strip bar patron, and a cultish sweeper multiple times. And later- That's his words, isn't it? Yeah, later <laughs> yeah. set security. They placed us around their sets and locations like pawns on a chessboard. He said that if you watch the first episode carefully and at the very start of the show, there's a fisherman at the parade that old boy with the bushy beard and i don't know if he's got his anorak on there but then you look at the fisherman statue you can see it clearly that is the person that they, they modeled that after based yeah. that statue on it's brilliant which is fantastic he said he he got to mingle with cast crew and contestants at different times lunch was great because they'd rented out one of the local restaurants for their craft and i just think that's brilliant rent out a local restaurant to to just feed the cast and crew and stuff mm -hmm. like that and here he says, yeah, I believe most of the locals enjoyed the whole process. It was like Disney had come to town and filled the local vacant buildings with weird and funky active businesses. And this is the thing to point out is that after the show had ended, all of the set design stuff or all of the, the pieces that they used were actually sold off. And he said that when the show ended, they had this yard sale. His current computer chair came from the show. I also bought a large dry erase whiteboard and some sign props from the Founders Day Parade and a metal piece of the prototype fisherman statue. So this chap not only was part of it, but he's also got all these bits that were left over. And look, yeah, we'll talk about speaking to Pat later, but the fact that Pat got to keep some of his bits and pieces as well, he's obviously got the pictures on the wall, he's got a beanie hat, and yeah, it's... He's got some of his, yeah, his fisherman stuff as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I, I just love that. But look, huge, huge, huge thank you to, to people like that that have contributed to this, because there's such amazing information that we would simply not know about mm -hmm. unless we saw this one of the things i noticed is i mean you search the hashtag or the you know the keywords on twitter mm. there's a lot of people that remember it and a lot of people have got really fond memories of it it's absolutely right because it's if someone tweets what's the most underrated show or what's criminally underrated or what have you murder in small Tannics is guaranteed to come up in that conversation and then um, hawk 1964 i should point out real name is dan daly so dan Thank you. He might have got past episode one and thought, this is a crock of shit. I'm not listening anymore. So Give him a shout out. We anyway. don't know that he's ever going to hear this, but no, thank you, Dan. Made same. two Brits very happy with very the information happy. that he's provided. There are a few other things that, that Hawk 1964 told us and that Police Chief Dudley, so Dudley Duncan, his vehicle was a pre-production Jeep Liberty. So the Jeep Liberty that Angel won at the end of the series was one of these. And that was what he, he won. I don't know if he won the exact one that Dudley was driving. A few miles on the clock. <laughs> the Jeep was used for advertising purposes. That wasn't on the road at the time. No, so, so that's, I mean, another thing we've noticed, obviously, is um, is Taco Bell and how that was the sponsorship of the show. And, you know, you see it in the, in the in sort of the war room when they've got all Taco Bell cups. And, I mean, they obviously they go and meet the motel owner at Taco Bell. And I think with the, you know, the Duke Liberty. Is it Duke Liberty? Yeah. I think it's the same sort of thing, isn't it? They're sort of getting, probably getting sponsorship money, sort of pay off the massive bill that they've That's ran it. up um, right. trying to film this thing. So Okay, so now we'll move on from location and talk about the fans of Murder in Small Town X. I didn't know about this show 
three months ago, you knew about this show because it had stuck in your mind for so long, but you never rewatched it. Mm-hmm. I would now say, and part of it being obviously this experience anyway, it's genuinely one of the best TV shows. Like, I love it in that it will forever have a place in my heart as being one of my favourite TV shows. And I know that goes with making a podcast, obviously, but that's not to say the same for series two of what we're doing because I actually don't like that quite as much. We spoil ourselves by watching Murder in Small Town X first because it is remarkable. But I can absolutely understand why there are massive fans of the show out there there are a few that we've met through twitter through instagram through reddit we've got friends and family now that are really into it as much as we are that will listen to this podcast so you know my my sister-in-law ellie or our mate beth our, our mate stallard james all these different people who are listening and they're messaging us saying can't wait for the next episode or what have you and you think this is incredible because we'd be having these conversations anyway through, say, WhatsApp or, or Facebook Messenger or what have you. But it's just amazing that we've brought those along on this journey with us and that they can listen along. And even even Stally said, oh, it's like I sometimes want to contribute because it's like having a conversation. And we we chat to him all the time. We work with him have him on xbox live and it's just like that conversation so i guess it must be frustrating for him not to be able to join in the conversation but i've even even when recording this he's just texted so he's just texted saying he said semperfy yes we know now mate we know <laughs> yeah thanks for, <laughs> thanks for letting us know <laughs> he's also put poor Kristen. i don't know which episode he's watching at the moment but that's that's amazing so he's even texted us right now about it which I absolutely love. There's the family and friends element, but mate, there are so many people that we've connected with on. on and I think Twitter. I think that's it. Like I, I love the fact that there's other like-minded people. Um, absolutely. And you know, and we've said before, and you know, we've been friends for a long time that we we're only recording this just because well, we're recording it. We would have had these conversations anyway. We would have watched it probably episode by episode. We would have said exactly the same things we have said. I mean, yeah. Granted, this has probably gave us a push to get in contact with Pat. Yeah, undoubtedly, yeah. And stuff like that. But, you know, this, these are the conversations we would, we would have still had about this show. But it's the, you know, it's the engagement from other like-minded people that that's what makes it worthwhile as well. It, it gives me such a buzz when I get a notification on Twitter to say someone likes a post or someone's messaged you about the latest episode or what have you. A, a real special shout out to Chris Perry on Twitter as well, because Chris is a huge fan of Murder in Small Town X. Actually got like, footage that we've not seen before i think it's on some dvds he ripped or something like that because no one's got like real promo. access to like, this isn't it it's like promo material. it's always stuff that you can't get yeah it's it's stuff that you can't get anywhere anyway but um no look chris is completely on the same wavelength as, as us as following along oh obviously knows the show in detail anyway but it's also it was a really weird exchange that i had with him because you and i obviously talk a lot and we said look next we're going to do this particular series then we're going to do that particular series and then within a few weeks Chris has then come in saying you guys should try this series and I'm like we're literally watching that one now oh and after that try this one and I'm like that's series three he's like oh what about this one and actually he's given us one which I think will make series four but it, it just goes to show and this is the thing like anyone listening you might see all right we, we, we we've not got a cast of thousands following us we've I'm talking about season four. Genuinely, it doesn't matter if all of our fans drop off the face of the earth and no, we'll still only, be chatting. We've only about got this. us listening to it. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. The point is, we really want to do this on shows similar to this. So when we do get into some of those series, and the reason that like, there, there is 
quite a clear reason that we don't mention season two, season three, season four is because we want to go in blind to all of these seasons like we did Murder in Small Annex because I'd hate to watch one of these and know what happens to know, know the winner the or yeah, exactly the people that were in it or the, the killer or the winner or whatever it may be. So no, look, and, and for, for, for reaching out, for getting in touch and really supporting us, Chris, we you know want to say thank you. And yeah, just, just keep the information coming because you know way more about this than us. You get to watch it live. We have to watch dodgy copies on YouTube. <laughs> I, I'm just, it's just a shame that obviously now Disney own Fox. I mean, there's probably more contractual things in there, isn't there? But this is, I'm probably be, like, I'm thinking this is probably owned by Disney now. I, I, I'd have thought so. Yeah, yeah. I guess it depends on what agreement the likes of George Versher and all that had back in the day. Whether Unless it's ran out or something. Or, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and after so many years, it runs out if it's not shown. or. But in that purchase or that acquisition of Fox, then undoubtedly they get the archive. And this is in there somewhere. You'd, you'd have thought. So why don't they do it again? Why don't they release it? Disney Plus, rather than horrid rips off of YouTube. So right, we finally move on to the cast. And firstly mention the person that we think has probably gone on to be the most i don't know if successful is the right word but certainly the most popular or or the one credited the most is sam whitwer not even a main character in this show not even a suspect not, not a suspect not even a main character but one of the best characters uh, yeah I mean, mo, before we get on to him, the taxi driver yeah thibodeau's friend thibodeau's partner most not even a taxi driver though is he's he? not he's a just... taxi driver he just used to take them to their destinations <laughs> He did a bit of everything. He was just there. Yeah. So Sam Witwer played Mo, has gone on, and you could probably reel off a load of his films. The one that stood out for me the most is that does he not play Darth Maul in Solo? Yes, he does. A spoiler yeah. alert for anyone that's not seen Solo, <laughs> Darth Maul's He's, going to appear in it. I mean, if there's one person that can get this on Disney+, Plus, it's Sam. <laughs> and I don't know how we haven't tried this route. But... <laughs> because, yeah, he's full in with the Disney crowd. I mean, he's, uh, yeah, Darth Maul in Solo on that little last minute mm. spoiler. But he also plays like, I think he does Darth Maul in like the Clone Wars um, yeah. animation as well. So he does a lot of voice stuff. I'm sure as well. I mean, he's in Fallen, Star Wars Fallen Order. <laughs> voice talent. Incredible. I think, because I've seen it on his Twitter, um, a lot of people associate him with Starkiller, like from the Force Unleashed sort of franchise. Oh, right, okay. God, he's in Riverdale as well. Oh, blimey. That's that's really near, isn't it? That's, yeah. That's the last few years. We know we know from our chat with Pat that Hayden DeBeck was actually quite ill, wasn't he, through yeah. filming, through recording, and died and passed away, you know, within a year or so of the show being aired. And and same as C.R. Flint. C.R. Flint's no longer with us. In terms of who we reached out to, there are quite a few big names that, you know, I tried but didn't get anywhere with. But Pat Battistini, and I'm going to leave him to the end because our experience with Pat and the chats that we've had with him, incredible person and, and just the most welcoming person into his life and the conversations that we've had with him and, and the live chat and stuff. But Pat actually put us in with a few other people. Um, we, we're yet to hear from, from Kathy Shambly, who played Mayor Bowden's wife. But Gary Fredo replied Within the same day, I, I emailed him for, off the back of a, an email from Pat with, with Gary's contact details. I asked Gary quite a few questions. I asked Gary how he got the, got the role as a lead investigator. And he said he had to audition for it. He was an LAPD sergeant and also working on several running TV shows as an actor part-time. I worked on NYPD Blue, Profiler and several others. 
So my agent called me and pitched me the role. I thought it might be cool. So I went in for a read several production reads later and I landed the part. Can you imagine being a police sergeant and being an actor? That's that's badass, isn't it? That is. That is proper badass. In terms of the contestants, and we mentioned it earlier about not not mingling, but he said he only spent time with the contestants when they were filming. He did not interact with them at all when they were off set. They did stay in the same town, but he mostly hung out with the crew, which was at the request of the producers. So even mm-hmm. if he wanted to sort of spend time with the contestants, he wasn't allowed to. No, they were, I'm not going to go through all the questions that he uh, that he provided, but he said he didn't know who the killer was. He was not told who the killer was until they started filming the last episode. In terms of the experience, and this was a big thing for us, is making sure that who we speak to enjoyed it because... The last thing we want to do is reach out to people and for people to say, I don't want to remember that part of my career. It was a low light. I didn't I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it for whatever. But Gary replied saying, I enjoyed the show very much. It was fun and different. I enjoy the work I have in the film and TV industry. It's always been a great second job for me. I retired from the police department in 2011, but now I work as a security executive with a large DOD uh, Department of Defense, presumably, aerospace mm-hmm. company but I still do a little acting on the side if it comes my way. So fair play, even though he's retired and everything, he still does a bit of acting here and there. He also mentions Dudley Duncan has gone on to be a big executive producer for TV shows such as Castle. So there was another little segue into, into another one of the another one of the cast. I don't know if there are any other cast members you want to mention, but we'll we'll talk about Pat Battistini. No, I, just, I, no, I, just, I think that... I think we said it in one of the first few episodes how how much we loved Thibodeau as a as a character. Yeah. And then to get hold of you know the man himself was a dream come true. It was, and it was through a tweet that we sent, just trying to reach out and say that like, we've we're just two idiots from England who have had this harebrained idea to create a podcast. And this was even before we'd released it. Perhaps mm-hmm. if he'd have listened, he'd have gone, "No, you two sound like idiots. <laughs> I'm not going to get involved." But look. Pat then came back as shocked as anything because he said, look, this was 20 years ago, guys. This is remarkable that it's even still being spoken about. But I genuinely think it feels like Pat is really quite impressed that people are still into it and that there are there is such a huge following of Murder in Small Town X. But rather than just respond to our emails, rather than just come along and say, yeah, here's answer some, to some of your questions, he suggested that we have a chat about it. And we recorded a, uh, a Zoom call I was expecting maybe come online, speak for 10 minutes. You don't know how it's going to go. I've never spoken to anyone from Hollywood Hollywood before. You know what I mean? (laughs) So it was one of those, I was anticipating we might get 15 minutes and just ask him his questions and then sign off, you know, like some sort of press junket or something like that. But no, we had a full-blown conversation about everything that we could think of. But he was even asking us about our jobs because he's used the he's used the train line in the UK. And the video footage I'm so proud of and I'm so happy with because we are smiling throughout. There's not a moment that the smile drops off our faces because... We're, we're genuinely starstruck, I think. We are in the presence of the main man of the entire show. And that we're not just saying that. You can. I've been back through our footage and, and the number of times we have mentioned, oh, Thibodeau's amazing. And we are genuinely gutted when Thibodeau was killed off and stuff like that. It, and even now, Pat is still emailing us. We're still chatting. I think we, we, we've sort of created a spark for him to sort of, you know, go down memory lane a little bit from yeah, 20 definitely. years ago. And, and the he's, pictures he's that found, he sent Yeah, us. he's p- found pictures. He's found sort of props that he was get given. And it was, it was good sort of hearing his stories of what he could remember. And, and Pat's yeah. gone on to do... Look, we, we, we don't need to talk too much about what Pat told us because what we're, we're definitely going to do, we're going to include some of the, look, the, the... This podcast has undoubtedly already had some of his audio, into, you know, um, spliced in. But what I really want to do is 
put it onto YouTube. So the conversation that we've got, we will cut a few bits out. There's no point in, at one point when Pat asked us about our jobs, no one needs to hear about that. We <laughs> yeah. lead the most boring lives um, outside of podcasting. So yeah, we probably won't leave the railway stuff in, but I, I, I just urge anyone to go and watch it because of how passionate Pat is about He's the so whole genuine. experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that it really was something special. And there's a lot more in that than we can tell you on this, this podcast. So yeah, from me, that's it. Yeah. I don't think there's anything else. That was good. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, well, thanks again, guys. I really appreciate it. You made my Thank day. You. Uh, thank you so much. I truly, really, it was very kind of you guys to reach out. So thanks so much. Um, and I, I look forward to chatting more and I look forward and I'm happy for you guys to be able to connect with more people too. Brilliant, Pat. Really thank appreciate so it. Much. Thanks for your time. Really you got it, guys. All right, take Amazing. care. Cheers. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 Talk soon. If you're still with us, thanks for listening. Come and tell us what you think. We're at Presents Jam on Twitter. Join us next time for Series 2 of Jam Presents where we play the murder game.